everyone to jokerman podcast welcome back ian to jokerman podcast what welcome back uh we're we're both welcome each other back to the to the podcast after our hiatus sure yes welcome back evan it's uh you haven't seen me remember we haven't spoken or that's right anything (laughs) nothing uh yes today is uh hallowed day uh september 11th uh and to celebrate such a Significant day mm. <laughs> uh, in New York history. Uh, it's time to talk about a great album by a New York artist. Uh, Rocky Start. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been out of practice on this. No, you're so close, though, because uh, it, this is a record that I, I associate anyway with good times in New York. Mm. What, I li- what I like to call classic New York days. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually was recently in New York and it was, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful trip. Got to see John Cale in show and concert. Got to visit with uh, a friend of the program, Adam Green, uh, and the the Lemon Twigs, and uh, Ivan Burko, and all all our pals in the Big Apple. And uh, I was listening all the while on the sunny streets of Manhattan to none other than today's album topic, which is I don't know about you, I think. One of the finest CD, CDs mm. in in Lou Reed's. Uh, it's a CD for sure. It is um, definitely a CD in in Lou Reed's uh, canon in his discography. Set the Twilight Reeling, nineteen ninety six. Do you agree with that? It's a great record. Okay, good. good oh yeah, good. absolutely. It's. Uh, I mean, yes. Uh, this is. I, I am very happy that we're getting to this point in the Lou journey because it's been. You know, it's been. It's been a lot. Uh, with 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 Lou, uh, certainly the last couple episodes, you know, the last couple things that we focused on from him, starting with with New York, really, and then Drella, and then the Velvets reunion and Magic and Loss, Magic and Loss, else, yeah, maybe most significantly, it's uh, you know, it's just it's it's weighty stuff, and and Lou certainly got weightier, got heavier um, as he you know aged into himself. Sounds like you're trying to dance around him, like becoming fat. No, he he became more substantial, and he became more muscular and yeah. lean and powerful. That's definitely true. Yeah, he, but he never got fat. Artistically, you know, he just it it was uh, the the effervescence of rock and roll heart and Sally can't dance uh, for better or for worse, depending on who you ask. Was uh, you know gradually sort of left behind, and I'm not going to say that set that Twilight Reeling is quite that. Um, uh, effervescent, <laughs> to use that word again, if that's the best one I can come up with on the spur of the moment, but it's closer to that side of the spectrum than the previous records had been, and certainly where the next couple records are going to go. I mean, from Ecstasy to The Raven and wow. right through Lulu, like we're, 
Ooh. we are we are heading heading for choppy waters. Valhalla. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, when it comes to Lou Reed music, as far as I'm concerned. It's I mean, it's incredible stuff uh, and I can't wait to talk about it. But this is really kind of the last opportunity I think that we're going to get to just like put on a Lou Reed record and say, you know, that's good music. Yeah. Um, at least in the way that we mean that. Um, right. Yeah. Th- this is this is his I suppose his last put it on record um, mm-hmm. of his, of his discography and at least uh, in the rock and roll style. Um, I, I think it's got its like sister, it's parallel as often happens with, uh, John Cale's album, Walking uh, on Locusts. Walking on Locusts. Absolutely. I have to say, given the choice between the two, like coffee shop, new album by type releases, um, cause that is kind of the, the aura of both of these discs is like. Wow, we've got a household name rock and roll artist, and you could buy this at Starbucks. Um, mm-hmm. This one is like way better to me. But no. I mean, far. Why do you need to far, choose? Why, why, why pit two bad bitches against? I would. Another? I wouldn't normally accept that. I just think that, unlike Walking on Locusts, I think that this record goes. It transcends just being a like a fun record to listen to, as fun as Walking on Locusts is. I really think of uh, Set the Twilight Reeling as as the great love album uh, of Lou Reed's career. I think it's yeah. like so clearly and more than any other record, like imbued with this sense of uh, a man in love, uh, like our friend Carl Ova Knausgaard. Sure. Yes, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's two. a more, yeah. it's a, it's no question. It's a more significant record than walking on locusts. Like this is, this is, there's much more going on here. Um, and as you know, as put it on and, and rock and roll fun, good times, as I've just described it, it is still a Lou Reed, you know, latter day Lou Reed record. So there are, are some incredible, poetic brain trips that you're going to encounter. There's some hard rockin' fuck you Lou Reed attitude. And there are also, like you were saying, uh, incredible moments of tenderness and pure hearted, open eyed, wide eyed sincerity filled with all the warmth and love and, and generosity of spirit that, um, you know, you could expect from this guy at his best moments. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a heady brew. It's a, it's a, it's a delicious, a heady brew. (laughs) Yeah. I see Uh, where you're going. (laughs) Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think that honestly, it, it sort of, it, it very much is, is informed by his relationship with Laurie Anderson, which had, you know, kind of taken off by this point. I think I was reading the um, bio recently and uh, it was like 94-ish, 93-ish that they kind of fell in with one another. And so this record comes in the wake of that and you're going to see him be motivated by his relationship with Laurie and just Laurie herself as an individual across many of these songs. I think it does fit into this kind of pattern that he seemed to put himself through uh, throughout his career as a recording artist where the beginning of a new relationship seemed to sort of recharge him and set him off in a new artistic direction. Things like obviously growing up in public and Mm -hmm. the blue mask are very much informed by the blossoming of things with Sylvia. And, you know, it's not quite as clear and clean with the earlier 70s stuff, but I do think that, you know, Coney Island Baby does seem to have an element to that. You know, he, he's he's finally opening up and, and feeling a little more uh, uh, yeah, def- emotionally honest at that same time as his relationship with Rachel was really kind of at its peak. 
And also in, in uh, Mistrial, I think that when we revisited Mistrial, it struck me as one that was very much involved with that too. Like it Inside was. and um, and uh, the final track, Tell It to Your Heart. Yeah, um, I think Mistrial is more informed by, you know, kind of the growth and the complexities and the challenges that he and Sylvia are facing. Right, it definitely it's not new. has to do with that. But yeah, exactly. It's not the new, like, I'm just excited and ready to fucking go kind of spirit that you get. Honeymoon. On, yeah, exactly. Honeymoon period that you get on this record. And that is why it's so, that's part of why I think it's so delightful and really fun to listen to again there are some really heavy moments here but there's a lot of just like man put that on that's a good ass song yeah it really will come later when we talk about ecstasy but i think these are two sides of that and they're the two greatest sides of lou reed's later period relationship focused work this one of course yeah being a a real whirlwind romance that you see affect him and carry him into some really rapturous territory and then also really volatile territory. One, one word for it. That becomes really heightened and gets really, uh, it, it goes as up, up really high and down really low um, in ecstasy. That's kind of more focused on the, the backside of things. Um, yeah. But this record it looks at love from many different angles, even in the honeymoon period. This is clearly the honeymoon period of someone who's already been through a lot and also is actively looking at this relationship, kind of wondering like, is this really, is can it be as good as it seems? And coming to the conclusion that it can, but that it's not without some uh, world weariness going into it. Yeah, definitely. I, well, what was interesting to me reading the DeCurtis book, um, you know, about this period in, in Lou's life and, you know, going into Set the Twilight Reeling was the nature of his relationship with Lori, which seemed to be very different than he had had with previous people. Like they didn't even, I, I didn't realize this, maybe uh, this is common knowledge to other folks. They didn't even live together. Yeah, they did not live together. Uh, and, you know, and they, they, you know, cohabitated very often and they had uh, places uh, on Manhattan, you know, relatively close to one another, but they kept their own kind of lives separate. You know, by the end of things, Sylvia was Lou's manager in addition to being his wife and then at a certain point was no longer his wife, but was still his manager. Like it was a very tricky kind of multidimensional thing. And, and I think that uh, his situation with Lori you know, was directly informed by negative-ish experiences uh, previous with Sylvia and this ability for them to like be together in a unit. They did buy a second house out on Long Island, I think in East Hampton um, or Montauk or something. And that was their home together that they would be at sometimes. But uh, even still, you know, throughout their lives together, kept their working practices separate, kept their lives separate. It was it was a mental, heady, uh, meeting of the minds type of thing, I think, more than he was used to. Meeting of two artistic t- uh, people. I mean, two, right. two full-on artists. And exactly. Someone who was kind of at his level. You know, at or as, beyond. I mean, like, yeah, yeah they're like... a practitioner. Totally. Um, which is something that really comes through on the record, especially on certain tracks. Like, there's one track that seems to be all about that. Um, and... Like, yeah, like I said, that that it seems to really take seriously this one relationship to the point that there are songs that look at different aspects of being in a relationship and uh, 
in subtle ways and it gives a whole song to like this subtle perspective on something that seems to be going well and ultimately the hopefulness is what I think I think about this record is carrying um that's that's like the message the the core of the record um but it starts off if you want mm. to start off with um a song that very playfully <laughs> just like it, it sets up in a way like kind of tells you everything you need to know about Lou Reed uh when he's in a good mood like everything about a happy Lou Reed exists in the first song which is very it's important to note that that's where this begins you don't find him conflicted you don't find him working through anything to Lou Reed being happy is just having an egg cream that's right on King's Highway. How about that frothy guitar? Oh, it's great. This is such a, a great way to start the record and to immediately announce that, uh, you know, <laughs> we're in a different, we're in a different world at this point, uh, from where we, where we last saw our man. Um, it's, it's just a delicious, you know, literally, no, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> I think this record is so fun to me. And egg cream is maybe the perfect example of this because it's Lou back in bimbo mode for the first time in a long time, but he's like kind of aware and like actively playing that part. And so he's doing it in this bookish fashion at the same time. Like it's, it's a great kind of fusion of both halves of him. It's like Proustian reverie. It's his, uh, Madeline, uh, right. Moment. Exactly. He's the, thinking the about the, uh, taking a sip of the egg cream and he's transported back to the streets of Brooklyn as a little boy. As a lad. Um, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's well aware that this is sort of a, you know, uh, uh, inartful and, and chugging and, and uh, lovably dumb rock song. And that's why he wants to do it. That's something he's really good at and comes really natural to him and is something that he really moved away from over time. And so seeing him kind of dip back into that mode, but with this, you know, sort of, perspective of an older man, a wiser man, a happier man at this moment in time certainly is great. It's it's like a flashback to the Lou Reed that we knew and loved all those years ago. Um, but with just uh, none of the like kind of fucked up baggage and stuff, it's just like easy to enjoy. It's not kill your sons, but it's like, it's actually going back, casting back further than maybe we've ever been cast back before. This is like the formative earliest childhood moments potentially of Lou Reed where he's like when I was a young man no bigger than this you imagine he's just like saying he's so small 
He's a little guy. Itsy bitsy. Tiny, teeny weeny, uh, Lou Reed. Uh, That's right. That one picture of him, like where he's like four years old or whatever. Like this is, <laughs> this is, um, this gleeful, uh, look back at, at a time before anything bad happened to Lou Reed, except there is a reference even in that context of like knife fights and kids pissing in the street. And so it's like, the sensitive uh, side of of child Lou Reed is being given some uh, attention here. That's right. the kind of stuff that stressed him out back then. Is knife fights worth? Yeah, that's that's worth being stressed out about at any age, I think. But uh, well, he does say the only good thing I remember about PS ninety two was the egg cream served at Becky's. It was a fearsome, fearsome brew. brew. So you know he's he's admitting right there. This was not this was not all candy and lollipops here as as a lad. Uh, there's some there was some pretty fucked up the school shit. School of hard knocks, yeah. But I'm gonna I'm gonna choose to remember the good stuff. That delicious, delicious chocolate egg cream at Becky's instead of uh, you know uh, being a conflicted queer kid in uh, New York City in the 1950s Getting with a potentially treatment. abusive dad. <laughs> well, I, I don't know about the abusive dad. That's contested. But the shock treatment is, uh, let's say, That's, misguided, uh, I think, at least. I think that qualifies as abuse. <laughs> well, I, 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 yeah. I mean, misguided parents and uh, absolutely real electricity. Um, that is uh, That is egg cream. Um, you ever have it, an egg cream? Of course. I don't know that I've had a cream. Well, an egg cream, to those who don't know, is you bet chocolate syrup, specifically uh, that brand, um, seltzer, wa- seltzer water, um, you know, very strong seltzer and uh, milk. And uh, you mix it up into a heady uh, flow. Is that what he says? Fearsome brew. Uh, it tasted just like silk. He says, "Chocolate bubbles up your nose." Yeah, it's a. It has no egg in it, as we. I think this has come up yes, before. We've covered at this point. There's no egg, although there are you know plenty of old style uh, cocktails and other soft drinks um, that do have egg white. Lime Ricky, I believe, has an egg white in it. Lime uh, drinks have egg white. Early, early uh, soft drinks, egg whites, but egg cream, no. Um, it is just a a variation on the classic chocolate milk. Uh, and one that I think makes one feel, as a child, a grown-up. It's like the first time you're getting a cocktail of any kind. It's like the first time you're getting anything, ordering anything. That's like sort of a, a proto-adult beverage, the egg cream. It's it's like a milkshake. <laughs> it's like but a it, milkshake. It's not like a milkshake. It's like, it, it is it's, like a milkshake. It's, it's like not, a fake milkshake. It, well, it's like it's not a milkshake because it's just like liquid. It, that's, it's like it's, a cheap milkshake. It's, yeah, <laughs> just it's, do milk instead of ice cream. But it's sparkling. That's the the thing about it. That, that's sure. What, there's a little there's a little bit of seltzer in there. It's effervescent, um, which, as we were saying, is the the character of this song, and the song just has this like really thick sludgy guitar that guitar sounds so good i love that guitar oh satisfying to listen to it sounds like chocolate milk absolutely the band is just chugging along and i love that any sort of element of delicacies could not be further away from this song you're gonna get that on this record on the next song in fact and and on a couple others uh you know very shortly but this this song is just like three ingredients big and loud exactly and right in your face like like taking a big uh gulp of egg cream a particularly sweet one it's a great opener and there's not much more to say about it beyond happy 
baby Lou Reed. And happy adult Lou Reed, remembering that. Speaking of sweet, I mean, the next song, NYC Man. Ugh. This song is is perfect to me. Yes. This is one of my favorite Lou Reed songs. Yes. Period. Like, it sounds magic from the those first two, three guitar strums before the band even comes in. You just know you're just fucking in for it. I've had, a, like, a long history with this song. Moving back and forth from New York and LA like so many times and almost uh-huh. always because of a girl say go and that is that. someone's telling you to go and that's that well it can mean that and it can mean go <laughs> it can mean go as in be there and this song's about leave um yeah <laughs> but uh there's also something about it that is like so special about the the idea of what it means to be in New York is like to be okay with change or like to immediately accept it. Uh, I wouldn't want to be around you if you didn't want to have me around. Uh, it's aspirational because it often is not the case that that is how things go. Um, that like instantly you're just like, it, and there's an aspect of protesting too much on this song of like, well, as soon as you say you don't like me anymore or love me anymore, I'm, uh, I'm fine with that. And I have moved on. Total bullshit. <laughs> but that's why the song has some kind of like totemic strength. That's like, I want to be like that. I would, everyone would hope to be like that. And it seems even Lou Reed is telling himself that he is like that. Um, that's paired with the way that it sounds. It makes it uh, irresistible. This is just one of the great achievements of Lou Reed. Mm, 
make up a lie that you'd have to remember and really why. I wouldn't want to be around you if you didn't want to have me around. I'm an M-A-N-N man. You blink your eyes and I'll be gone. M-A-N-N man. You blink your eyes, honey, and I'll be gone. New York City man. I do love the combination that he takes on this song where like it's again like we're really into the point in his career as an artist where he's not really worrying about like rhyming things at all anymore or like traditional song structure like a lot of these verses are just him speaking you know sing speaking uh without bothering to even you know match up a b a b kind of format uh and yet and and yet you're still gonna get some absolutely incredible verses that he just drops out of nowhere the stars have shut their eyes up tight the earth has changed its course a kingdom sits on a black knight's back as he tries to mount a white White jeweled jeweled horse while a clock full of butterflies on the hour releases a thousand moths you say leave and I'll be gone without, without any, any remorse. remorse. And then no letters, faxes, phones, or tears. There's a difference between bad and bad worse. Bad and worse. Ugh, just what, this is one great. of the great stanzas. Like, this is just so good. Um, the first line, if it can only lead to trouble if you break my heart, if you accidentally crush it on the Ides of March. Um, I do have uh, a specific way of relating to that in that uh, that is literally... I actually that happened to me uh, on the Ides of March in New York. Well, <laughs> I was broken up with on that day. Uh, you know, and just like Lou Reed said, <laughs> you're an M A N N man. Blink your eyes, and they, I'll I'll move to Silver Lake, and you were gone exactly. Um, um, the the way the the song sounds like those those guitars at the beginning there's like it exists in the same universe as something like walk on the wild side but it's such a an effortless expansion of that quality which like to for him to pull out of a hat is just like that's what everyone was waiting for this is like the sequel to that song as far as sonics i think it feels the most like that it gives something of that soul feeling that that sort of evening sunset quality of something like walk on the wild side um and it it has that perspective that you get on something like egg cream but that is the other quality of the record is just a sense of perspective that never feels like um it doesn't feel like a museum retrospective it feels like he's expanding on things that he's already done yeah he's got a i mean you know lou reed is inspired by new york city as (laughs) news 11 um but he really does have and this is a great example of a latter-day contribution to it this uh uh broad and interesting and textured you know kind of canon of interactions with you know thoughts on takes on you know life life in new york dating right back to wild side on transformer obviously 
and you know Sally Can't Dance is in there. Coney Island Baby is in yeah. there. Street Hassle, you know the song. You know, all of these songs are in there. Not to mention uh, Waiting for the Man, like everything from the early Waiting Velvets. for the Man. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then you know to say nothing of New York, the record, mm-hmm. obviously. And now like he's kind of now he's even you know kind of tech, adding this element on here too, and just like kind of taken together. It's a really, um, you know, it's it. Uh, I, it, it the way that he's able to take this one subject and look at it from all these different perspectives and have, be informed by all of these different moments in his life and relationships and whatever, like it's, um, I mean, that's, that's what you love uh, with an artist. And that's what's so unique about someone like Lou and why it's so important and vital to look at the entire breadth of the man's career and not just stop with fucking wild side and Coney Island baby and even street asshole, but like get to NYC, man. Like that's just as uh, important an element of this whole thing. Hudson, uh, fucking Riverwind Meditations is is uh, an element of that canon. You know, it's all it's all the same song. That kind of thing is only possible if you have enough time. Like you know, I was just in New York and I was there for like a little over a week, and there's so much that you can do there, and so many people to see, and so many people the places to go, and you don't get to see everything in unless you have a lot of time. It's like why I want to go back. And Lou Reed living long enough to make uh, this record and keep making records about New York, uh, he could have lived to be 1,000 years old and he could have continued to write about different facets and perspectives and uh, moods of that city. And this is a testament to why it's important to keep going. Cause when you're young, I think a lot of artists, especially Lou Reed, maybe the prime example, like want to say everything all at once, uh, fixate on the most energetic aspects of what it is to be alive. And it takes time to get around to, uh, being able to access those more, those subtler, moods and and textures about what it is to live in a in a city uh in a particular place in a particular way um and this is that this is that thing that only happens when you've kind of run through some of that immediate uh outburst of energy and you can say something in a calmer way that's just as true like I said, like we said, it's it's what this is all about, really. New York City, I love you. New York City, man. New York City, how I love you. Blink your eyes and I'll be gone Just a little grain of sand New York City
And then the next song, Finish Line, is like uh, kind of an, an extension of that feeling of like, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm still kicking. It does not feel like the work of an older man. I mean, it really, it's, uh, I don't know if I've fully cracked like what this song is about, but uh, to be honest. But um, yeah, but I do think it's um, it's a nice tune. It's not my favorite on on the record by any stretch, but uh, it's it's uh, got this momentum to it and this uh, this basic narrative of like I don't know. What do you think of this song? Yeah, it's it's the song on "Set the Twilight Reeling" by Lou Reed. There, there. I mean, an element of this record is, you know, it is a CD album. It's from 1996. It has the characteristics of a CD record, where it's like 50, it's like 52 minutes or something. It's pretty long, uh, and there are a couple songs on here that are just like, you know, there they are, and maybe they didn't necessarily need to be there. Not saying the finish line is a bad song uh, by any means, but it's it's one that you just listen to. And there's that fun little kind of guitar strum thing, and then the little piano comes in halfway through, and that's uh, a good time. Yeah, there, there, and there's still plenty of good lyrics in it too. Sure, saluting a flag made of some rich guy's socks, heading yeah. for the finish line. You know, this is more. This is a, a song that I'm more interested in, just on little snatches, like you know, phrases like that, than I am in you know, kind of comprehending the entire breadth of what went into it. Outside my window, crowd below runs wild in the streets. Two rented brothers race down two separate alleys, heading for the finish line. Down in the train yard, out by the stockyard, butchers with aprons hack meat in the snow. Blood has the brothers pulsing with envy. Heading for the finish line Two rented brothers' faces keep changing Like these feelings that I have for you Nothing's forever, not even five minutes When you're heading for the finish line Yeah, this one I think feels a little bit more like it is trying to be a panoramic view of of something about the city and about life. Um, there's a lot of different things going on in this song. There's some biblical stuff in here. Wind blows snow outside my windows. Crowd below runs wild in the streets. Two rented brothers race down two separate alleys. Is that the lyric? Two rented brothers? Two rented brothers, yeah. Fucked if I know what that means. You know? Two rented feelings. I, I like that one. Two rented feelings sitting in the stands. Yeah, rented is the, uh, you know, phrase that he returns to. Two rented referees and two checkered rags. Rented. I mean, yeah. could New York be? City. Rent. Brothers. He doesn't have a brother, though. No, he uh, has a sister. Sister. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. I don't, Finish line. Finish line. third song on the record. It is. It's, it's, fi- it's not bad, but it's not the next song. Oh, like I want to trade in trade in is the fourth song. And I think it's like one of the biggest love songs of Lou Reed's 
life. It's a great song. It's so, it's a profound song. Like it brings a tear to the eyes. So, uh, vast in like what it is trying to say. And it, it has this thing about it that I think is, he's addressing, I think something about redemption, like personal redemption in this, um, thinking about personal failures is part of this record. There's something about the album that is, uh, really focused on reckoning with, with personal, uh, being disappointed in yourself in the face of somebody who you see like is in love with you. And then like being forced to kind of put away, get rid of this, these versions of yourself that, had this now very visible negative shit going on. And I think that's what this song is about. It's like meeting someone that makes that clear to you, like shows you that whatever they see in you has nothing to do with the bad way you used to see yourself and having to do away with that in favor of a new life with this person. Not a trade-in, although I wouldn't believe the cause I woke up crying as we said goodbye Me and my old self each day vanished more and more As I became someone else He actually was murdered I'd taken him apart But when I put him back together I couldn't find his heart it was resting underneath a chair In a bed of bright tin foil If I pulled back the flaps I could still see it beat I could still hear his voice on call As I said I want to trade in A fourteenth chance at this life I met a woman with a thousand faces I mean, this is this is the whole concept, right? Lou becoming a new person, being in a new stage of his life, energized artistically and emotionally by this exciting new relationship. This is that in a song, like boiled down into the song itself, and and put across in a very uh, poetic manner. Um, but it's uh, it's one of the more honestly, like kind of nakedly like truthful autobiographical like sincere kind of songs that he would go on to write i want to trade in a 14th chance at this life i met a woman with a thousand faces and i want to make her my wife that is just like yeah damn man there's some of the greatest lines in his whole were ever are here there's this whole stanza which i just i think about a lot when i think about lou reed 
and that's saying something is, um, how could I have been so mistaken? How could I think it was true? A child that is raised by an idiot and that idiot becomes idiot you. Becomes you. <laughs> a life spent listening to assholes. It's funny, but it's true. So get rid of them. I said to myself, but first I'm getting rid of you. And I think the you is this version of yourself that tells himself. you that yeah, of course. this thing that you can't afford to carry along with you into the next phase of your life that includes someone who, who doesn't, ever want you to see yourself that way i want to trade in a 14th chance at this life 14th chance he's he's lived through his nine lives and several more uh at this point in his life and so um you know (laughs) that number is is more than a second chance i was so wrong that it's funny and i can't apologize but instead you can be everything that i'm not the second that i die it, it it's a reason to believe in 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 personal progress and and redemption and mercy upon oneself and i think that this is like a soliloquy it's like a hamlet like soliloquy about recognizing that it's time is necessary to do that and i can't think of anything more profound than that he's lived it so he can speak it. He can sing it. Musically also just sounds amazing. Oh, the, I mean, the guitar when, at the end. The guitar, yeah, when it kicks in at the end and that it's it's not quite as fuzzed out sludge sound as egg cream, but it's close and it just it's feels huge, like a tidal wave crashing over you and, and he's just like Hoo! it's yeah, uh, it's I love that. He does it, a little Warren Zevon. Yeah. Uh beginning of the song also. Um and you're gonna get this on a couple other tunes on this record as well fernando, fernando back on the bass he's hasn't been on a record since mistrial at this point it's been like a decade oh, he's gonna welcome be with lou exactly he's gonna be with lou you know from here on out basically but just like mm, that's a delicious kind of note and again i think kind of thematically resonant lou like finding the people the relationships no you know knowing at this point what parts of his life work for him whether they're from the past or the present or going to be in the future and you know bringing them bringing them together that's a good way to put it figuring out with age like what what works for what suits you emotionally yes this is like the record you only get when you've done a lot of trial and error uh, with yourself this is not like growing up in public this is being grown up in public
This episode of Jokerman Podcast is presented by DistroKid. Over a million artists rely on DistroKid to distribute their music and get it into all of the places it needs to go. Your Spotify's, your Apple Music's, your YouTube's, your TikTok's, your Tidal's, your Instagram's, and any other streaming service of note. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy. With unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100%, that's right, 100, all of them, folks, of their royalties and earnings. DistroKid comes with tons of great features, including Mixia, which allows DistroKid users to put the finishing touches on their tracks in just minutes, getting a customizable and polished end result that anyone can feel confident in before sharing it with the world. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. So go to the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store to download it today. The, the, the torturous, difficult, overwrought adult themes with a capital A kind of shit that you get on growing up in public, which is successful in some cases and isn't in others, like that's just a part of the, the fabric, the DNA of this record. And it's so effortless and clear and realization of what he might have been trying to do 15 years earlier. And man, I mean, yeah, talk about emotional. Yeah, the next song. The is next fucking, song is the perfect... Uh, extension of that perfect yeah rejoinder to trade trade in into hang on to your emotions oh, such a man. brilliant back-to-back bit of sequencing this is another one of my favorite lou reed songs this is the sequel to i'll be your mirror this is that idea expanded upon like this is it's, it's even more intimate than i'll be your mirror in a way it's like getting down into it's the second session after that initial uh intervention like if I'll be your mirror is like you, you're about to jump and it's like don't do it, hang on to your emotions is like well why and this is the the answer he's kind of going into like this is precisely why you can't see yourself that way. It's a you know it's it's I'll uh, I'll be your mirror but actually informed by a life's worth of experience at this point you know I'll be your mirror is beautiful like one of the great songs ever of all time but it's, it's it, symbolic it, it, yeah it's got sort of a childlike naive you know willingly so uh, a view on the world and emotions and relationships and this is like down into the nitty-gritty when a night city's breeze blows across the room and a 5 a.m moon and sun start their swoon and you hear your lover's breath not a moment too soon you get to release all your emotions like that is like he he has lived that moment in his life and it took him years and years to be able to go through that and then put it into song this way and put it across. the sweat of the day and you have trouble understanding what other people have to say you'd better hang on to your emotion hang on to your emotion when a demagogue 
inside your head is taking charge And by default what you say or do is criticize And this litany of failures is recited a thousand times better When a demagogue inside your head has taken charge, and by default what you say or do is criticized, and this litany of failures is recited a thousand times, you'd better hang on to your emotions. It It's very similar to Storyline Fever from Purple Mountains. Mm. Um, that song, that is like an instructive song from someone who's been through it about not uh, capitulating to your worst view of yourself. Um, and if the last song was kind of about discarding that negative, that toxic, that self-loathing um, aspect, this is uh, like the actual surgery of that. And um, there's there's the line in it, which is my favorite on the song. Uh, when your imagination has too much to say, when that facile voice inside your head says give your life away you may think to ask how it got that way what books it has read that made it that way and where it got the right to speak to anyone that way talking to yourself in that way is uh necessary Uh, there's a level of emotional intelligence to this record and to these songs and this one in particular that is so impressive and can't be you know whatever you think about Lou Reed up to this point like if you will if you like his early stuff and you're like I'm a big Velvet Underground fan you don't know this person yet like this is him knowing himself and you have to wait till later to get to this point and to see that there's a point where he he does know himself this well before you can really call yourself a fan yeah, you know, it uh it's it's the same thing as Bob and uh, as Beach Boys and Beatle, you know, this is you see this again and again and that is what we're out to do battle against. Uh uh because well, you know, if you want to be a fan of just the Velvet Underground and the first couple solo records, if you want to be focused on 1970s Lou Reed and, and cut off all your interest in him in 1980 as we've covered with certain subjects on the show, you know, you do you, dude, but you're missing out on some good shit. You're missing out on the best shit. The and best shit. This song also features this one touch, which I think is like the most romantic detail in a song of all time, which is that during that uh, stanza, which you referenced, Ooh-ah. yeah, the um, the actual vocoder, this breathy vocoder vocal from Laurie Anderson. It's great. Just like, just it literally is a Night City's breeze blowing across the room of the song. It's it's her presence being there. Like she, it's like a feature on her on a song that comes in there just to like give support to this very profound idea, and it's his actual partner subject of of everything he's saying here. I've always thought that was one of the finest examples of like is somebody else coming on a song like somebody his true love coming on the song just to offer the breathy essence of her vocoder like signature sound to this moment where he's referencing their quietest most 
personal moments of not feeling burdened by themselves or the world. When a night city's breeze blows across the room And a 5am moon and the sun start their swoon You hear your lover's breath Not a moment too soon You get to release all your emotions You get to let go of your emotions And release all your emotions You better let go of your emotions Release I wanna let go Me and who? Jesus fucking Christ. That's good stuff. Uh, and then as beautiful and touching and emotionally resonant as trade-in into Hang On Emotions is... Um, <laughs> oh boy, I love it. <laughs> Sex <laughs> with your parents, motherfucker. Part, part two, two, live. Part two. <laughs> <laughs> it says live, too. Yes, yeah, this was tracked live uh, for some fucking reason. I think it only happened because it was live. <laughs> Oh man. Ah, uh, it's so good. That's great. Yeah. He loves this song. He sent this song, wanted to send the song out as a single on this record cuz obviously this record flopped and, you know, was was not successful uh as many Latter-day Lou records were and he decided that this was the way that that he was going to sell some records and get some attention was sending this this song out as a single to every radio station across the country. Uh I I think stations that would not have been able to play this song even if they had wanted to uh, but um he still sticks it right here in the middle of the record and it follows some of the most touching and beautiful emotional songwriting that he's ever ventured into and here he is talking about fucking rush limbaugh and rush lambeau bob dole says it like Rambo. This is why I love this record, is the fact that he's willing to let this song live alongside Hang On Your Motion, that NYC Man and Egg Cream can live right yeah, alongside Cream, one another. They've got to. It, this it's is like, like he likes hot dogs. You it's know? such a great willingness to indulge every element of himself to their fullest extent, the deepest, darkest, or the most heart-wrenching <laughs> love songs, and then ex- exactly this kind of shit. This is the most classic, like, Lou Reed-ism, where he, he has, like, an idea that the metaphor doesn't even really support, but he's like, fuck it, I had the idea. Let's just do the song. You get it's it, like, you know? It doesn't pay really to make it. sense, like... I guess he's just saying it's called mother. It's just mother motherfucker. That's sex with your parents. Come on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, uh, these people have uh, had sex with their parents. Go to the top. Okay. 
I was thinking the things that I hate to do Sex with your parents Things you do to me or I do to you Baby, sex with your parents Something fatter and uglier than Rush Rambo Something more disgusting than Robert Dole Something pink that climbs out of a hole And there was Sex with your parents Senator. I mean, listen, you, you look at a record in a record store and it's got a song right there in the middle that says sex with your parents. You're at least going to be curious about like what's going on here. You might not buy the record, but you're going to want to hear it. He's saying that uh, Republicans, um, they are like uh, they are like motherfuckers. Yeah. They, it's like they, they it is like that they fucked their mother. I love when Lou is in MSNBC mode, which you get on New York and he puts aside for magic and loss, but it's coming roaring back at this point. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It's, it's great that he did not. um, Well, I'm just going to say it's, it's, he never would have. Yes. I I know what you're going to say. He never, he never would have even had Twitter in the first place to be making posts about that kind of shit. There might've been some misguided songs here and there, but I think that, uh, you know, he, uh, his heart would have been in the right place. I was getting so sick of this right wing Republican shit. These ugly old man, skinny young kid and dick. So I tried to think of something that made me sick. And there it was sex with your parent. Now these old fucks can steal all they want They can go and pass laws saying you can't say what you want You can't look at this and you can't look at that And you can't smoke this You can't snort that Me, baby, I got statistics, I got stats These people have been to bed with their parents um, Hooky Wookie Hooky Wookie This is one of the funniest songs that Lou Reed's ever written, probably. Uh, I want to hooky wooky with you. What a great phrase. It's it's such a fun song. It's such a a damned bop. Yeah, it's just a great propulsive pop song. And and that's what I love about this record, too, is like, you know, that's something that Lou was so great at. And like his preternatural gift, the original one, you know, that he was just in the songwriting factory and could crank out brilliant tunes at the drop of a dime. And, uh, and you know, he, he goes away, he moves away from that naturally, understandably, you don't want to be doing the same fucking thing again, uh, uh, for your entire life, but he still had this tool in his tool belt. He could just whip this out whenever he wanted. Uh, and this song sounds great. It's so dry sounding. Like it's, there's no space in this recording whatsoever. It's like just crispy, uh, and, and present. It's like, sounds like everyone's in the room together, like bunched up on one another and they're just having a ball. Ex-lovers here, 
I mean, that's the the core of the song is actually about him being jealous um, of Laurie Anderson's positive relationships mm. with her ex uh, lovers. Yes, and he is like com- cannot relate to this at all. Um, none of my old flames ever talk to me. When things end for me, they end. They take your pants, your money, your name, but the song still remains. You know, Sylvia Reed. Um, you know, that's maybe not the most generous statement of it. To just name one, but th- then there's the, the the beautiful moment of I wouldn't want to throw him off into Ugh. the chemical sky to die under the wheels of a car on Canal Street. On Canal Street. <laughs> it's one of the funniest lyrics. He wouldn't want to do that. That's no, what he's saying. He, what I wouldn't, wouldn't want to do want is to this do. thing I've fully imagined down to the last detail. <laughs> this thing that I have fantasized over to the point where I can see the fucking brain popping out of his ears uh, and the way that there will be tourists and Chinese people selling fish uh, screaming. That is not what I'm going to do. That's not what he wants to do. What I'm going to do is not that. And he's your lover, I meet up on your roof. I wouldn't want to throw him off. Mm-hmm. Into the chemical sky, down into the streets, to die on the wheels of a corn canal street. And at each lover, I meet up on your roof. I wouldn't want to throw him off. Mm-hmm. Into the chemical sky, under the wheels of a car to die on canal street. opposite of that that just you can imagine that all you want but that's decidedly not what he would like to do i see like a handsome frenchman who you once were in love with and we're we're all on the roof of the building that i'm kind of cohabitating with you and it's uh, about to be dusk in new, in new york city and what i'm not going to do is easily so easily look at him he's standing right there so easily nudge uh, push him at the right angle the so that he falls uh, down and um, his skull is crushed immediately as soon as he hits the ground under the the wheels of a, of a semi-truck. That is what I'm not doing today. He's not doing that. Tonight. <laughs> and he turns it into a fucking like sing-along chorus with all the backing vocals at the end. It's such a, it's a delight. Under the wheels of a car on Canal Street. Three out of three. It's great. The, then we, the rest of the record goes back to the more uh, earnest and uh, less ironic. Yeah. We're hitting, this is to me kind of the shaggy 
CD stretch of this record, with with one exception, and certainly the the final track, you know, that is as good as it gets. Uh, but uh, you know, there's there's ten minutes here. I think that could have been shaved off if he were trying to make a tighter record. But it was the '90s, man. You had all that space on a digital disc. Why'd you need to make a tight record? I actually, I, I feel the same way, and I feel like it's kind of uh, most people, I would imagine, feel similarly about some of these final songs, like. The proposition, the adventure, Riptide. The proposition honestly kind of sounds like and feels like and even reads like a Magic and Loss like leftover. The way the AIDS needs a vaccine, somewhere a vaccine needs AIDS. The way a victim <laughs> needs life, a life needs to be saved. Like, aren't the, isn't that like the same exact metaphor that he had in uh, uh, in what's in what's good? That's right. Yes, you know. <laughs> I think we can say this is the weakest song on the record, but yeah, it's still kind of nice, and it does. Uh, feed into the love theme. Um, I would say, though, if we're going to move past the proposition, we can keep going. The uh, adventurer, adventurer is great. I dig. I dig adventurer. It's so specific to his relationship with Laurie Anderson. To an th- there's, I don't, I can't even think of another song that's about an artist loving another artist. And having difficulty with that, like he says, he spells it out so clearly that like, it's hard to do. It's, it's difficult that you are also, um, as, as adventurous as I am. Um, but that's also why I love you. That's like what draws them together is the same thing that pulls them apart to be part of the world outside of each of them. It's the opposite of like a 50s love song. Like a 50s love song is, you know, I, you're my best girl. I'm going to treat you right. This is like, it's kind of like two masculine personalities, like two people who are like really into expressing themselves outside in the world, being away. That's part of what they do. Um, and Lou is kind of expressing in a, uh, on, in a way here, like, the challenges of that, that as much as he loves their, that they have individual creative lives, there's this thing that's like, it's like splitting the atom for us to be apart. It's a, it's a different experience for him. You know, he's, he's certainly, you know, in romantic relationships, even artistic and and friend relationships, all of his relationships, really, you know, he had been used to and and seemed to seek out situations where he was the dom, you know, he was the alpha, he was the dominant one, he was calling Mm -hmm. the shots, he was in charge. And if you didn't go along with that, see fucking John Cale, see Robert Quine, see Michael Fanfara, you know, you got kicked to the curb. Um, And, uh, and you just kind of had to deal with that. And, for him to be encountering this position 
at this point in his life, especially, you know, can't, you know, can't teach an old dog new tricks or, you know, you can, but it's, it's fucking hard. And he's learning on the job at this point, like for him to be mm-hmm. in not only an artistic, you know, kind of relationship, but an actual relationship relationship with this person who is just as alpha and powerful, you know, a powerful human presence. It's, it's a challenge for him. And, uh, and that's what he's absolutely reckoning with here. And I think that is why they ended up working you know, working the way that they did to the extent that they did for the rest of, of Lou's life. Um, you know, because it, it, the best, the best relationships are always, you know, kind of the most challenging. You, you want to be invested and kind of have to struggle with it. Um, and, instead of just kind of coasting and yeah. his willingness to put in the, the time and effort to make it work and change himself to the extent that he did. I think, you know, that, that is in large part the story of his life with Lori in the later days. Um, it's a great song. I yeah, love this. you're an adventurer. You sail across the oceans. You climb the Himalayas, seeking truth and beauty as a natural state. Mm. You're a queen reborn, worshipped from above, afar. Some see you as an elixir, an elemental nature seeking perfect grace. I mean, God willing, we all meet someone who makes us write this song. It's like it has everything to do with his own ideals, as it is with relationships, where you you read things into, you project things onto the other person. So you get like a really deep insight here into like what he sees in Laurie Anderson and, and what he thinks is his match, like what, who he wants to be um, his opponent in a way, like his, like an, a worthy adversary or in a good way. Like he doesn't really want to be so with someone who he feels superior to. And I think at this point, it seems like he, there's a humility or a a humbleness that she's able to like maintain in him. Like he, he feels like he, it's okay to be put in, in a certain place by her because she's such a consummate artist herself. Yeah. Took him, uh, 50-something years to get to that point, but kept at it. Uh, I love the way the song sounds also. It's, it's this, there's this like kind of REM Yola Tango sound to a lot of this record. Uh, just like a really easy and effortless rock vibe where, and when I say there's an REM Yola Tango sound to it, that the REM Yola Tango sound is just the Velvet Underground song updated for the 80s and 90s. And, but that point, like it's kind, it's kind of like feeding back on itself back into Lou's own work. It's he's also privy to that. Yeah. And though I'll surely miss you, and of course I'll survive without you, and maybe Google come of that, but at this point, uh, I anticipate some grieving, and although I know you're leaving, is a necessary edge up to what we both do. An adventurer, splitting up the atom, splitting up the once was, splitting up the essence of our star course being. None who meet you do forget you, my adventurer, my adventurer, my adventurer, my adventuress. Adventuress. 
Uh, he's uh, he's being uxorious in this song. Uxor. One who loves his damned wife. Someone <laughs> dropped that on me today when I posted pictures of my wife on Twitter, and that was a wild word. I'd never seen that one before. Uxorious is, is a word that means uh, yeah. being a wife guy. Yeah, that's great. I'm I'm keeping that one in my back pocket. You you did we have we not talked about that? Uxorious? Yeah. No, I, I haven't talked about it. Okay. The reason why I knew about that was because I played Scrabble with Sean okay. Condom and he he pulled that one out of this. That's hat. a wild one. Uxorious. Shout out to the guy who uh qual- called me on my uh, I think he said Uxoriousness on Twitter. Are you sure it wasn't John Tottenham? Uh it wasn't John. Um Riptide. I feel like this is a litmus test for how much one likes the album because, like, I didn't care about the song for a long time, and now I think I really like it. No, yeah, all right, well, go. Riptide is where where I'm taking a nap. I don't think so. I I I used to think that actually, like, I used to think this is kind of a boring song, but I really then spent spending some time with it. I realized what the song is about, and um. I think it's an emotional peak of the record in that just, you know, we were talking about I'll be your mirror with hang on to your emotions. And that's like the positive re it's a, it's a, a, an affirmation of these positive things about why you shouldn't uh, think little of yourself. But riptide is kind of an outside perspective of, um, understanding that somebody, whoever it is, it's the worst case scenario and you're witnessing it and you're witnessing that somebody who shouldn't be is involuntarily being thrown into mental chaos and that they're, nothing they do will really affect it. They can't escape it. And it's a compassionate perspective on that. And... It takes the form of a, a seven, almost eight minute rock song. It does. It sure does that. But when, when you understand that that's the subject, I think that it, it becomes, a, it feels a lot shorter. She's out of her mind. Like wind in a storm. Like the ocean at dawn As it disappears With a riptide She's out of her mind She's pulled away by the moon She's ripped from her sleep As the cold moon is sweeping Oh, what you gonna do with your emotion? Ah, once you barely recognize In your sleep I heard you screaming This is not voluntary This is not voluntary if this is life, I'd rather die In a riptide In a riptide 
who it's about, but um, Riptide being the metaphor for being pulled out of orbit, thrown into uh, a disaster mentally. That's what is going on here. Sure. Yeah. It sounds like a regular rock song. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's I, I don't disagree with any of that. It It is it, it is all of that. And it's an interesting you know take on things. It's just for me, it's 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 a tough hang uh, and it's not what I'm coming to. So that's why that reeling four really like if he had managed to chop this song in half, you know, just literal lengthwise, I, I could I could dig it a little bit more. Maybe if he had even just put it somewhere else on the record. But he's got this fucking habit of putting these really, you know, the later day records, these just like big, weighty, long, drawn out fucking songs not at the very end of the record, but like pretty damn close to it. And sometimes it totally works and sometimes it doesn't. So like like fucking straw man like a possum, but there are other instances, Riptide here, I'm thinking like Harry Circumcision on Magic and Loss, that it's just like, honestly, if you, if you just, if you just left that one as a B-side, I think uh, the record as a, as a whole would have, would have sailed a little bit more. And, and, you know, ultimately I'm glad that he didn't do that because then we might've been deprived of like a possum or straw man, you know, which are the, probably the best songs on both of those records. Um, but uh, it's it's sort of a it's up to chance to roll the dice whether or not these big long just drawn fucking out songs towards the end of these records are going to come across for me at least. I just like this one. I, at at this point, I think there's that bit about uh, I was thinking about Van Gogh's last painting. The yeah, there's some good lines. Absolutely, the crows and the wheat fields. Is that perhaps what you were feeling? I I think that it. Um, it's a it's clumsy in this way that you know at this point i I associate with something I love about Lou Reed um sometimes he, he does the thing that it happens in as an interviewer i think I don't know if you you've noticed this it's like sometimes being an interviewer can be like a songwriter where it in the search for in in the effort to get to the point you don't always get to be eloquent. Like you have to ask a stupid question. You have to do something that's like, you have to say something that's kind of dumb to get there to the place you want to get to. And I think Lou Reed treats his songwriting that way sometimes where he's like, he doesn't care that he has to say something kind of dumb in the, in that moment is the thing that gets him to the, the truth of the matter at hand. And Riptide is one of those examples of like, it's not very eloquent always. It's not always like polished sounding. It doesn't always rhyme, but you can tell that he's really trying to convey uh, the subject. And in this case, the subject is huge. And like it, it's a, in a way like a tearjerker, this song, I, I think actually it feels I've, I've gotten kind of emotional thinking of listening to this song because it reminds one of how deep his, his compassion goes for himself, for other people, for anyone who's going through that, the, the waves of fear. Like that's, this is like looking at the person having the waves of fear, this song. That's true. Waves of fear is just a catchier song and shorter. (laughs) It's a better song, but you know, (laughs) 
whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, gener- generous reading of a, a deep, deep, deep cut in the Lou Reed discography. Well, that's what Jokerman Podcast is for, a generous reading of a deep-ass cut. Absolutely. I would just rather listen to Set the Twilight Reeling on Set the Twilight Reeling, which brings us home on this record and is, I mean, I'm listening to it right now with it in my headphones. I want to call it the best song on the record. Really? Maybe sometimes it is. Honestly, it probably isn't because there's so many other great songs on this record. Like if I were listening to NYC Man right now, I would say, oh, that's the best song on the record. Or if I was listening to Hang On Your Motions or even fucking Hooky Wookie, I would say that's the best song on the record. But that I think is a credit to this record is the way that you can just put on any of these songs and they have such distinct flavors and feelings sonically and, and lyrically certainly. And they all just really work for you, uh, uh, for me as well as, as any of the other ones. It's, um, it's an exciting listen. I love this song. It's, uh, it's Lou going full, you know, uh, super Saiyan poet mode here at the very end. Super Saiyan poet. Take me for what I am A star newly emerging Long simmering explode Inside the self is reeling In the pocket of the heart, in the rushing of the blood, in the muscle of my sex, in the mindful, mindless love. I accept the newfound man, and I set the twilight reeling. At five in the moon and sun, it set before my window Light glances off the blue glass we set Right before the window And you who accept in your soul and your head What was misunderstood, what was thought of with dread A new self is born, the other self dead I accept the newfound man and set the twilight real. He's, uh, you know, he's powering up. He's, he's doing the spirit dance with Vegeta and going, uh, you know, with the, the fly, the flying in the air with the glowing hair. Um, and returning to lines and phrases and ideas earlier in the record, at 5 a.m., the moon and the sun sit set before my window. You know, 5 a.m. moon uh, and uh, your lover's voice you know, sweeps across the room. Um, really kind of makes this feel like a book, you know, feels literary, you know, as we know that he likes to uh, likes to do at this point in his career. 
beautiful intro to the song. And then at a certain point, it just fucking takes off. You know, he's not going to let you walk out the door with a little more, without a little more rock songs. And he's, that's, uh, I love the way this song builds and finally kicks into fucking gear the last like minute, 90 seconds. It's, it's badass. Yeah, it goes, uh, it does go super saiyan. And uh, on that note, the cover. Yes. Uh, Which we do you know about talked the cover? about it? Yeah, we've talked about the cover. Like on the last three episodes, we've talked about the cover of Twilight Reeling. You know about the uh, the technical uh, aspect of the cover? Yes, well, you can you can tell others out there about it again if you would like. Well, I would because it's the episode about the album. We should. <laughs> uh, it is uh, the cover. I'll tell you this: it looks blue. All right. But it's not blue because you you take off this blue film that it comes with, and in fact, uh, it, it's yellow. It's yellow. <laughs> it's the original fucking blue dress thing. It's yellow. It's the blue dress or the <laughs> black whatever. It was blue or it was gold. I think th- those are the things, right? Yeah. It's a close up and there's kind of a corona, like a sun around his eye. Very good cover. Great cover. The end of this song kind of goes into like, kind of, kind of like Mario Kart mode almost. Yeah, that's what I was saying. He he, he kicks in. He really does fucking go Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, it's more as like the Dragon Twilight Ball Z sunburst movie. gleams as the chromium moon it sets, and I lose all my regrets and set the twilight reeling. I accept the newfound man. That's the thesis statement for this entire fucking record. I accept the newfound man. I accept the new Lou Reed, the new me, and I set the twilight reeling. I accept the new Lou Reed personally. In in 1996, I listen to this record. I go, I accept the new Lou Reed. I would have I would have said the same thing. I accept the new Lou Reed, and I set the twilight reeling. I like that the record has that that title because it's like uh, it's very poetic and abstract. Yes, on a record that is decidedly not abstract at certain points. Um, at certain points, but at but certain overall, points. I, I like that the cover and the title they reference the the abstract as being the most important part, yeah. which is the truth on a record about love. And it occurs to me that. To set the twilight reeling is not so different from uh, raging against the dying of the light. In fact, I think it's the exact same thing. And I'd be hard-pressed to think of another record that better sums up the ethos, the mindset, than this one, which is so much about an artist accepting himself, the new version, the newfound man, and the future, whatever that ends up being. I accept the newfound man and set the twilight reeling. Great record. You killed it, Lou. Three stars. Three stars. This is one of, the, this is one of my favorite albums. It is, this is, uh, this is your <laughs> walking on locusts. Tw- Twilight Reeling for you is, yeah, is walking is. on locusts for me. Except I gave both three. Yeah, well, sure. It doesn't get much better. It does get just as good, though. It's going to get just as good in a very, very different way. Uh, you know, <laughs> say goodbye. Say goodbye to egg cream. Yeah. <laughs> uh 
we're back, folks. We're, we're going to power on through to the very end. Lots of fun stuff coming up. Yeah. Subscribe on Patreon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Subscribe. <laughs> we never do that. We never say subscribe on Patreon. On a free episode. Yeah. Subscribe to Jokerman Podcast on Patreon. Subscribe to Never Ending Stories on Patreon. Now that we're on our new release cadence and new schedule, it's a whole new era for the show. Yeah. I think we even have a new logo at this point for the show. If you have gotten it finished. I'll go ahead and do that. Jokerman. As the twilight sunburst gleams, as the pro-